Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let Mom's Green Thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give Mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. After Tampa Bay lost in Carolina on Sunday, video surfaced of Buccaneers receiver Mike Evans stopping with the officials, writing something on a piece of paper. The NFL investigated as to whether or not Evans was asked by the officials to give an autograph, which is a violation of the NFL, NFL Referees Association, CBA. The league decided that there was no violation, but then the league would not say what it was that Evans was doing. Yesterday, Evans met with reporters, and here's what he said about whatever it was that he was doing in that interaction with the officials. I wasn't signing my autograph, i tell you that. Um, I talked to a lot of officials, and we're all human beings. Um, he's a nice guy. Um, that's all. We're just talking about, you know, golf. That's all we were talking about. Okay. But what were you writing? And I feel bad challenging Mike Evans on this. Somehow he's got it in his head that he was doing something wrong, I think. He's not doing anything wrong. It's not That's wrong right. for him right. to give the uh, autograph to the officials. It's wrong for them to ask. Now, maybe he doesn't want to piss them off. Maybe he doesn't want to throw them under the bus. Maybe he's covering for them, you know, to avoid negative treatment and maybe to get some positive treatment because these are the guys who are calling the games. I'm not going to say anything that may hurt them. If anything, I'm going to help them. But it's just the whole thing is odd. And I didn't care much about it until they started this clumsy, awkward effort to tell us it's not what it looked like, right. but we're not going to tell you what it was. Right. Yeah, it, it is. Uh, that's where it's awkward. Honestly, like, you know, again, officials in my experience and, and the, the, they they are usually extremely professional. It is rare to see that right there, that they cross that line of just like, hey, shake the hand. Good luck. You know, maybe talking to you on the way off the field or pregame warmups. You know, that that's where I guess I'm a little shocked. You know, I feel like they usually know, especially in that setting right there. You know, hey, there's cameras around. That that was the surprising thing to me. Now, is it surprising that Mike Evans is talking to an official who it sounds like, you know, is an alumni of the same college he went to? No. And first off, is it surprising for any player that's played as long as Mike Evans to not know some of these referees by name? I mean, some of these guys, again, too, you see them a few times a year. You know, you're lining up and hey, it's the guy you're looking at, right? To line up. He's a receiver. You know, hey, hey, referee Jeff, am I on the am I on the line of scrimmage? Hey, yeah, you know. Hey, and he goes over and talks to him during a TV timeout. Didn't you think that was pass interference and all? So those those relationships get made. We know that. In every sport, it, it, they know, you know, some of these guys by their their first names as far as players and refs. But that's where it was just odd is the fact that yeah, you don't see Hey, here's a piece of paper and a pen, and it's just 
again, to, to your point and what you've always said in this gambling era and, you know, it's a, everything's a conspiracy right now in, in our country and in the world. It just opens up Pandora's box for everybody to question things, and that's where it's not a good look for the NFL, and I feel like referees usually know better, you know, when it comes to this type of stuff. That was my reaction when this first came up. The tinfoil hat crowd is going to have to go buy more tinfoil because this supports the suspicions. And I try to argue all the time, the fix isn't in. The officials aren't corrupt. Right. And stuff like this makes it harder for me to convince people the fix isn't in. Right. That's the problem. That's the problem. Here's what the NFL said. Here's the official statement after they investigated the situation. After speaking with the individuals involved, we have confirmed that the postgame interaction between Jeff Lamberth Trip Sutter and Mike Evans did not involve a request by the game officials for an autograph. Both Lamberth and Sutter have been reminded of the importance of avoiding even the appearance of impropriety when interacting with players, coaches, and club staff on game day, including during the pregame and postgame time periods. If they did nothing wrong, the second paragraph is irrelevant. They're acknowledging there that what they did was enough to make people think they did something wrong. That in and of itself is a problem. And I know the rules that apply to lawyers. The, the, the guidebook, the rules of professional conduct, there were provisions in there about avoiding impropriety and the appearances of, of impropriety, that the mere appearance of impropriety in and of itself is punishable because you can't be creating bad looks. That's how seriously you have to take these duties that you have. You can't yet, regardless of what they were doing, that's enough yeah. for there to be a violation. Mm-hmm. Maybe that should be the rule. And it sounds like it kind of is because they reminded them to avoid the appearance of impropriety because they did create, Chris, an appearance of impropriety. They definitely did. I mean, that's, it's, it's, you know, it's all, I mean, it's, it's been one of the biggest stories in the league the last, you know, two, three days here just because of this. And they made it that way right. by how they handled it. The cover-up is worse than the crime. And the crime itself was no big deal. But once they start, and, and what, I, what I did, once we got the statement, I emailed a league spokesperson and said, if it wasn't a request for an autograph, what was it then? We will have no further comment. That, wait a minute. The, the example I used on PFT yesterday was if the doorbell camera shows something that looks like me letting the air out of my neighbor's tires on his car, and he asked me what I was doing— and I said, well, I wasn't letting the air out of your tires. Well, what were you doing then? I have no further comment at this time. He's not going to accept that explanation. So I don't think we should accept this explanation. And when you parse the language of this statement, it did not involve a request by the game officials for an autograph. I don't know. Were they asking for an autograph on behalf of somebody else? Was it for some charity? I don't know. It's just when you watch, I don't want to Zabruder film this video. Although, Chris, maybe you do. But not JFK. I mean, what the what? what but, but but watch the watch fifty seven point to a spot. Watch, watch they come down the hall. The guy on the on the right. Yeah, the guy on the left. The right, there, there they are. Yeah. Okay, but watch the other guy. He points to the spot where to write. Like, why do you need to get on the right side and point? Like, what is that? That's not just something you're writing on. There's a specific spot to write whatever he writes and. NFL Media, which is owned and operated by the National Football League, reported. Now, the league can't come out and say what it was for whatever reason. But one of its reporters on the payroll says Mike Evans was writing down his phone number because the other guy, the official who went to Texas A&M, like Mike Evans, knows a golf pro that's going to give Mike Evans lessons. Well, maybe he did the rest of the writing off camera because he sure as hell didn't write 10 digits down. When he no, did it didn't look like he wrote anything down. It was like he was about to write something, and then they moved I, along. I think and he was one a- of them. I think one of them looked at that camera, and they kept on going. But I, again, I don't want to Zapruder film the thing, but I'm going to. There's a moment where one of the guys, the one standing to the left of Mike Evans, kind of looks over and is like, "Oh, we're on camera. Let's keep going." Um, so who knows what happened off camera, but Evans still had the pen and he still had the card. So there was something that happened. But it's just odd that he would start like this is where common sense kicks in. Anytime you're in a situation like that, do you start and then walk down the hall and finish? 
you just start – if you stop and start writing, you're going to finish what you're doing. It's not a two-part exercise. The whole thing is weird to me, Chris, and they made it weird by just refusing to tell us exactly what happened. Yeah, well, it is. It is weird. It's just weird that you know they chose right there in, in a place where you know there's, there's always fans as you walk in the tunnel and people hanging around. And, you know, of course there's going to be cameras and phone cameras and all of that. You know, again, I don't find I'm just I'm surprised that the official didn't find a way to go get somebody outside the locker room at some point to go do it in a few minutes. That that's usually how something like that would go down, you know. And and again, I I you know, I don't know either, Mike. It I, it could be anything. Yeah, it could be, hey, you know, hey, Giggum Aggies, how do the Aggies look, blah, blah, blah. Hey, you know, do you know Johnny? Johnny said he played golf with you. He said your swing was all messed up. I mean, it could be all that. It could be. It doesn't matter. It's just not the proper look. That's the bottom line there. And then, yes, when you, like you said, it's like they're writing something and then it's like, oh, wait, hey, let's go over here and, and get out of the way a little bit. It just looks fishy. It looks suspicious, even though I really want to believe Mike Evans at his word there that, you know, it was you know probably something along the lines of what he's talking about. But but why didn't he? Why didn't I almost feel like the way he explained it? I almost feel like whatever story. And, look, and I'm not saying this is the case, but this is what happens when you don't tell us the truth. You invite speculation that this golf lessons phone number thing was concocted, and in the moment, Evans realized I can't pull this off. I can't, I can't, I can't do this with a straight face. We were talking about golf is not the same as I was giving them my phone number. So someone who is going to give me golf lessons could get in touch with me. We were talking about golf is not it. And there's just an element of every aspect of this that is odd. And really, and, and again, this is where appearance of impropriety is an issue. Mike Evans wants to get calls in his favor. He knows that these are human beings. He said it himself. They're human beings. They're influenced by the same things that the other human beings are influenced by. He does not want to throw them under the bus. He's doing them a favor. And, you know, they're going to cross paths again at some point, and there's going to be an opportunity for one of those two guys to say, hey, man, thanks for what you did. And whatever he did, he didn't get them in any more trouble than they otherwise would have been in, Chris. No, no, he didn't, and it's so be it. But the lesson is, is, is you know, the lessons learned, and just the referees and the NFL. <laughs> Here's the lesson. Here's the lesson. Don't engage do in corrupt activities in view of camera. If you're going to do it, do it away from the camera. Well, you just got to be careful. Again, it's just right now, yeah, people question everything. And like you said, with the gambling state and all the – you know, the casinos involved in the NFL, it's going to make people question, especially the ones who are losing money. They're going to always feel like, oh, it's out to get me. It's rigged. I mean, that's what you all, all you ever see. So that's where, it, you know, it opens the door for that conversation. At a time when they are encouraging the referees to exercise their full and complete latitude and discretion to throw a flag whenever in doubt about whether or not a quarterback was possibly roughed in order to ensure that the full complement of quarterbacks is healthy at all times. You're given that kind of power, extra power to the referee. Yeah, it's going to make people wonder how that power is ultimately used and whether or not, whether it's the Grady Jarrett flag that shouldn't have been a flag that may have altered the outcome of the Falcons-Bucks game, the Falcons still covered, or whether it was the, uh, the, the Chris Jones thing, the bad words. Oh, you said bad words to Matt Ryan. I'm going to throw a flag. And they still never they still never told us what Chris Jones said. Right. And the attitude then was go ask Chris Jones. And there was that attitude yesterday. Richard Sherman, I was surprised. Richard Sherman's kind of becoming a company man now. Well, why don't you go ask Mike Evans? Well, because the NFL's the one who should tell us what this guy said. It shouldn't be for Mike Evans to say anything. He should not have to explain himself at all in this because he did nothing wrong. The NFL should have the transparency in place where they tell us what was happening. We shouldn't have to go ferret out bits and pieces of a story. The NFL should stand up and say, we investigated it and this is what occurred. Not, well, it wasn't an autograph. What was it then? We're not going to tell you. Well, they're not going to tell us because, you know, again, the, the phone number thing is not a good look either. You know, whether it, it's, it uh, probably is 100% totally innocent, but the phone number thing is not a good look either. It's worse than the autograph. So, oh yeah, wait. I'm I don't know that it is. It, it's a, it paints a picture that they're a little too chummy, right? 
Well, you just you're you're a little too chummy with guys that should be completely detached and above and beyond the fray. Well, yeah, that's why but it's now, a bad well, look. Well, yeah, it it does. It looks that way. And to me, it's like with the autograph. Yes, it looks chummy. But now with like a phone number, it looks chummier. I mean. Uh, in the fact of like, hey, I'll, I'll text you later. All right, I'll text you later and tell you that I missed that call on third and seven. My okay. bad. I'll make it up to you next week. That doesn't look but good you're either. Right. You're right. It, it lays the foundation for a relationship that may continue beyond the confines of the game itself. Right. And what kind of relationships are in place between officials? And, and I'd never thought about that before. Are, 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 are there quarterbacks out there who text? Game officials are there? Game officials? I haven't heard players? of it, but you know, I'm, I'm sure. But it's now, happened but before. now that yeah. that that turd's been there. dropped in the punch bowl. Right. I, you know, it's it's funny. I again, this is why I love this show because it's a chance for just two guys to sit around and talk about football. I'm thinking, oh, it's no big deal. If all he's doing is getting his number to give it to somebody who's going to give him lessons in golf, why is it a big deal? Well, that that may be a wall that should never be broken down. Maybe that's the case. Yeah. I, I think that that's 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 where Mike Evans is probably during that. Just hey, we're talking about golf, and he can't be totally honest there too because he probably knows. Oh yeah, I was just writing my number down to the line judge. You know, the guy that's going to be uh, you know uh, doing one of our key NFC South battles in a few weeks. Yeah, yeah, that guy. Right? So so I'm sure he was a little bit trying to protect you know the overall referees and just the league itself from, you know, a, a, a bad look that, you know, I think probably was very innocent, but it doesn't look good. And nothing that I've said or written should be regarded as a criticism of Mike Evans. He has been put in a difficult spot here. He's done nothing wrong, period. And he shouldn't have had to explain it. It shouldn't have been a topic. The NFL should have said everything that needed to be said. So all that Mike Evans would have had to say yesterday was the NFL's issued a statement on it. That's exactly what happened. What the NFL said is exactly what happened. Because that's what should have happened. They should have found out what happened, and they should have said what happened. So all Mike Evans would have to say is what they said happened, happened. But isn't it weird, Chris? I know we got to take a break. But isn't it weird for as mild-mannered, as friendly, as great of a guy as Mike Evans is. He's got this strange knack for popping up in these bizarre controversies. It was exactly a year ago that it was Evans that threw the Tom Brady 600th football into the stands, and they had to go (laughs) bribe the guy to give the ball back, and there was this big to-do, and Mike Evans is right in the middle of it. And then every once in a while, you know, never gets into an issue with anyone, but blows a gasket with Marshawn Lattimore. And now this thing, it's like of all the receivers in the NFL, the most unassuming, quietest, friendliest, mild-mannered guy gets sucked into all these controversies. Well, I think that's, you know, partly why. You know, one, March on Lattimore, that thing, that's a personal, like, you know, professional battle they got. But, uh, Mike, and you know this, you know, more times than not, 99 out of 100, players are good guys. They want to be good to people. They want to take care of them. They're, you know, generally these are – you know, the, that type of guy in the NFL. And Evans is one of them. You know, you, you can't talk to anybody that won't tell you Mike Evans isn't an awesome person. And, yeah, he's hey, he's just going to be polite to the referees and, and talk to them. And, hey, here's a guy, and he's not thinking about, oh, you know, the record and all that. He's, hey, I'm going to make the fan happy. You know, so that's where, again, sometimes the, 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 the positives of the player get used against them here and – you know, because he's a good guy, now he's being questioned about, you know, things he did after the football game. And, you know, that's that's where I, I try to defend players, certainly, all the time. All right, power rankings time. Uh-oh. It's Wednesday. It's part of what we do. You get to chime in. Chris gets to tell me how stupid I am. We'll do all that when PFT Live, presented by Google Pixel, continues right after. You're stupid. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. It's Power Rankings time, presented by Google 
Pixel. We unveil them every Tuesday right after the show, and we talk about them every Wednesday. And, Chris, I can't remember a time where the first nine teams were unchanged from the prior week, but every one of those teams was either on a bye or won. So what are you going to do? You leave them right where they are. Yeah, I hear you. I got no issue with that. I mean, you're. I. I, I mean, I'm, I've. I like your top ten. I think you're kind of spot on right now. You know, I. There's. There's a part of me where I go. I look at your Ravens Titans and I go, oh, maybe I'd put the Titans above the Ravens right now, just with the way the Ravens are kind of. You know, they squeaked by again last week and seem to be messing up game situations. I'm glad you put the Bengals in the top ten. They look like they're kind of rounded into into form here. The O-line's been a little bit better. Offense has been a hair more creative to where, I mean, again, they're explosive. So uh, I feel you there with the top 10, Mike. I, I don't think there's anything that I can really argue with, you know, throughout there. Mike, let me ask you this. Am I crazy right now? Right? Like, I, I always like to play this game during the middle of the year a little bit about, like, here we are halfway through the year. What are the teams that we think can really go to the Super Bowl? And then I just look at the NFC right now and I just go, it's a short list of teams that I look at as of right now that I look at and go, maybe have some Super Bowl qualities to them. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's few and far between as far as that goes. The AFC, I don't have that problem. Some of the teams that are even, you know, four and three are not playing as great. I still go, well, I've seen things about them to go, they might be able to get there. The NFC, you take the Eagles. You take the Cowboys out of the conversation. I mean, I don't know. I put probably with the 49ers in that conversation. I'm, I know I might be a little alone on that one. But after that, I don't know if I look at any of the damn teams in the NFC as Super Bowl caliber after those three. Here's what's fascinating yeah. about it. You, you t the Eagles and Cowboys are the two right now that stand out. Right, right. Giants and Vikings, despite having one loss each, my question is, do they have any chance against a team like the Eagles or Cowboys when you get into a single elimination setting? But I look more at the teams, and this is why I'm not going to throw dirt on the Packers or the Bucks yeah. or even the Rams right. just yet. Right. 49ers either. 49ers have, yeah. have lost two in a row now, so they're kind of slumping. Right. But those are teams that are capable of catching fire, and you get them into a playoff one-and-done setting – and they're good enough to beat you. Aaron Rodgers in that setting. Yeah. Chris, I've been saying it all year. The Packers are better off as a 5, 6, or 7 seed. Right. Where they go on the road. They got nothing to lose. Aaron Rodgers, last dance. Yeah. Throw caution to the wind. He's got to push the don't, envelope don't, a little. Yeah. Don't get all, oh, we got the one seed. We're supposed to win. Oh, no, they're beating us. Oh, no, what are we going to do? You just go take it like they did against the Eagles against the Falcons when they beat the crap out of them on that Saturday night when the Falcons were the top seed. And then the Bears in the championship round go on the road and win. I, that's where it's going to get fascinating. You're going to get one of these teams. We see it every year. There's going to be a, a small handful. Yeah. Teams that are right around 500 when right. November becomes December and they're going to get hot. Every week is going to be like a playoff game and they're going to win. Win, 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 and they're going to be a problem when the playoffs start. I, Mike, I, I, I don't disagree with your thought there. I guess where I'm just this year is I, I, I legitimately look at it and go, your thought of the Rams, I just go, I, I, I really don't know if they can become that team this year. There's actually a part of me that goes, yeah, they, they're going to maybe sneak in the playoffs here, but uh, I, I guess I see less silver lining with some of those type of stories. Same thing with the Bucks a little bit, where I'm with you. I mean, damn, I'm the guy that I picked them to be the best bet like four times, going, this will be the week they kind of turn it around. I, I, don't, I guess I'm seeing less of a glimmer out of those type of teams than we have in years past, which I find odd. And then you switch over to the AFC, and I go, well, there's a bunch of teams there where I could go, I could maybe, you know, they have talent and, of course, a quarterback and things to make you think, well, if they can kind of get hot here, they could be dangerous. Uh, it's just an odd year. It really is with everybody lumped together. And the fact that, I don't know, there seems to be less of a, 
an elite class of NFL teams this year than ever before. I mean, it's the top three, I think, stand alone by themselves, maybe more than ever than I can remember in, in the last 15, 20 years, where I just go, those three teams are clearly the best three teams, and everybody else is kind of fighting you know, from there on out. But that said, there isn't a team that is consistently winning by 30 or 40 points. Any team is vulnerable any given game day. And you get into the playoffs, and it's win or go home. That's when things can get interesting. And that's where having a great quarterback can make all the difference in the world. Somebody who has been there and done that and doesn't get freaked out by the moment, like a Tom Brady, if they can get there. Real quick question before I get to some of these questions. If Rob Gronkowski would come back, would that make you feel any differently about the Bucs? It, it would a little bit. Yeah. No, but it would. It would. It gives them another guy to worry about. Now, the, their biggest issue is lack of, uh, you know, it's crazy, is lack of speed, you know. But, but uh, yes, Gronk, I mean, it's still he's a mismatch. And Brady throwing to guys that are covered or have people on them, he's great that way. Let alone he's awesome in the run game. That's the other aspect, you know, we always forget to talk about with Gronk at times. He's like having an extra tackle on the field in the run game. So, yeah, he definitely would, would help them out. And I think Brady may make him feel a little bit comfortable, more comfortable that way. But right now, with Brady a little bit jumpy, and he won't throw the ball down the field necessarily either if, unless he gets a lot of time. And then Evans isn't what quite he used to be. I don't think Godwin's 100%. They're missing that Antonio Brown explosive, jittery guy that can do some of the underneath stuff and the guy that can scare you to go deep. And that's where, like, I don't know what the deal is with Jalen Darden or Scotty Miller, guys that seem like they fit that mold but don't seem to crack the lineup. And, yeah, and then the defense, Mike, on top of it is just shocking as well. They're not the same, and I don't think they're going to be the same. There's too many players that are different on that side of the ball as compared to years past, and I think you know they're missing them. They misevaluated, I think, a little bit as far as how good some of these young guys are or how much longer some of these older guys have on their football team. PFTPM Posse asks, who's the most likely to knock the Eagles out of that number one spot? Well, they're going to have to lose to fall out of that number one spot. And they could lose any given week. They could lose every given week. You look at their upcoming schedule, there aren't a lot of oh-crap games on there. And it's they got what if like what if let me ask you this they're gonna lose at some point I can't imagine they're gonna run the table fifty years after the Dolphins did but they're gonna have to lose first and you know they could lose as soon as this weekend to the Steelers because you get this the right Steelers team at the wrong time for the opponent and you're gonna lose to them yeah no I I I hear you And, and of course they've been I think probably the most consistent across the board right would you though let's just say. They squeak by the Steelers this week. And they squeak by the Texans the week after. And, yeah, they're winning, but it doesn't look like dominant. All right? And then we see Buffalo dominate the Packers on Sunday night and then kick the crap out of the Jets the next week. And then the Vikings the week after that. You know, would that make you think a little bit? Yes. It would, right? It would. It would. So Buffalo is a team that you looked at that you could challenge them if they falter or not play their best ball. I grew up in the age of, don't play the piano music, in the age of the UPI and AP polls. Yeah. And the number one team stayed number one as long as the number one team kept winning. And that's just the way it was. You weren't falling out of that spot as long as you kept winning. And it's even harder here because it used to be there were five undefeated teams at the top of the pulse. Yeah. You have one unbeaten team, and there's value in not having lost a game. So even if they are winning by the skin of their teeth and the Bills are winning by 40, at some point it will be a factor, but I'll resist it because, to me, there's value in winning every game. Yeah. yeah. Whatever the final score, you're winning every game. Frank Billings 10 has a question. Which team in the bottom 10 of the power rankings makes the playoffs. And I'm working from the bottom up. The first team I get to that has a shot is the Panthers at 25. Below the Panthers, I don't think any of those teams have a shot right now. Maybe the Steelers, but after Sunday night, I've given up, uh, which means they're going to turn it around. That's the thing. Every time you give up, they turn it around. But the Panthers are realistic because they're one game behind the first place tie in the NFC South. They're 2-0 in the division. If they beat the Falcons this week, they'll be 3-0 in the division. Three and 
five overall, and if the Bucks lose on Thursday night, they'll be maybe a four-way tie at three and five in the NFC South. Yeah, I, you know, I, I I hear you there. I think I'd probably throw. I'd still actually think I'd throw the Saints in that conversation for kind of the same That's reasons. That's true. And you know what? You're right. Same reason you're, right. you're kind of throwing the Panthers in there. And again, the Saints. The defense is the issue right now, which is shocking and all that. But there's some things there that you just go, the offense has exploded over the last few weeks. The defense is letting up some big plays and with some missing players the other night. But they're one team I, I look at there to go, maybe they could make a move. And I, and uh, out of the other teams in the top bottom 10 there, you know, I'm not the Colts. I'm not going to count them totally out here right now. The Colts and the Raiders at 23 and 24. You know, we've talked about this before. The Raiders, they're about as good as a two-win team as you're going to find. I mean, they lost some heartbreakers and stood toe-to-toe with some some pretty good teams in the league. To where I And their schedule, we talked about it, it shakes out where we could be sitting here in a few weeks going, hey, look at the Raiders. They're 5-4. and four. All right? Yes. So I, I, I guess the Colts, the Raiders, and, and the Saints are the teams that I think jump out to me more than any. One more question here, Dr. J144. Who's the most disappointing team ranked between 24 and 32 on the rankings? There's a handful of teams we expected a lot more from this season. It's a trend after seven weeks, not a blip on the radar. Well, the one that stands out to me, obviously, is the Colts. I had the Colts in a position to hang another AFC finalist banner after this season. I thought they would win the division. I thought with Matt Ryan it would still work, but the offensive line – isn't what it used to be. The defense isn't what we expected. Jonathan Taylor has been injured. He, it seems like every year the guy who's the consensus number one fantasy pick ends up getting injured. Right. It's the nature of the running back position. And then Matt Ryan, it's, it's, it's over, it's done, and he's gone. Yeah. So that, to me, is a surprise. I did not expect the Colts to be at this point. And they're still 3-3-1. Three, three and one. As we said, this is a business decision that is getting Matt Ryan's butt parked on the bench. And Ursay's had enough. And he wants to either thrive with Ellinger or fail to the point where they can draft the replacement and get a franchise guy. So I'm just I'm amazed the Colts are where they are right yeah, now. Yeah, I, I I hear you there. And hey, listen, there's there's a lot of merit to that. I think there's gonna be a lot of quarter good quarterbacks in this draft coming out this year too. And I understand I understand their decision. Colts, I think, are up there, you know, for sure. The team that jumps out to me, of course the Broncos are one. Just because of the Russell Wilson, it's been such a failure on that side of the ball to this point. Um, but the other team I'm going to throw into that mix is Cleveland. I, I mean, I don't, you know, Cleveland's two and five, self-inflicted losses. I mean, th- that to me is one of the more disappointing ones. I mean, again, they should have started the year out three and zero. Oh. They they have no one to blame but losing to the Jets, but themselves made some questionable decisions and things in the Falcons game where they lost same with the Chargers game I mean same with the Patriots game where I could sit back and go hey well why did we do these things and so I look at them to go they've played better than two and five and their talent is better than two and five but you know what you know big game situations they they're they've had a lot of blunders there they don't manage those type of situations the right way so they're disappointing to me I think Kevin Stefanski should probably start being concerned about his future. Coach of the year in 2020. And when you look at recent Coach of the Year winners, it's kind of a kiss of death. Matt Nagy was Coach of the Year 2018. I mean, it's not a guarantee that you're going to have five, six, eight, ten years of employment. I say it because they've got Deshaun Watson going into next year, their first full season, unfettered, unrestricted, nothing to worry about. Maybe Jimmy Haslam thinks, you know what, some of these losses are on the coach and we're going to go find, you know, we're in a position to market the coaching position and say, you know, we can we can get our pick for somebody who's going to want to come work with Deshaun Watson. Here's a franchise quarterback. You want to, I don't know that they'd get Sean Payton. I don't know that they'd want Sean Payton because I don't think Sean Payton's a Deshaun Watson guy, but it does put you in a position to maybe attract a higher cut of coach if you're willing to pay him. So I just, you know, the, these losses trace too often back to Tefanski for him to not be a little bit nervous about his future. And on the Broncos, Chris, I had them at number 19 starting the season, and Broncos fans lost their minds. They'd kill to be at number 19 right now. Yeah, yeah, they would. I mean, they'd kill for some offense in general. I mean, that's a, 
It's a big game for them this week. We'll see if Russ plays, but Jacksonville, who's kind of on their own losing streak and got talent, uh, that's that's going to be a tough one playing over in London. Certainly, you know the Browns one. I'm you know you you know you said it right, and it's just it's shocking. The one thing I would love to know about the Browns and some of the decisions too is how much of the analytics people that are involved in that whole crew in Kevin Stefanski's year and calling the shots and some of this stuff. Is he the one totally to blame here? Let alone, you know, we can say he's had to deal with maybe the toughest offseason situation we've ever seen any head coach have to deal with. So that's where I feel for him. There's positive things that they do, but, yeah, there's things that certainly they've done that, that, that are questionable. That Jets loss is clearly on him. That was mismanagement. hundred percent, right. By the coaching staff and the offense, and uh, maybe some other things are, maybe they aren't, but I, I – We've seen Jimmy Haslam usher plenty of people out the door, and he's going to have full season to Sean Watson, and that may be a factor. I'm not saying he should be. I'm just saying this is something that, that should be on Kevin Stefanski's radar screen, the possibility that this is going to be it if they don't turn it around. All right, let's take a break. After further review for Week 7, when PFT Live, presented by Google Pixel, continues right after this. First and ten, toss to Walker, goes right side, has a little running room, Parkinson out front. Here comes up the sideline, he's on the run, 40, down to the 30, they're going to catch him, I don't think so, 15, 10, 5, touchdown, Seahawks! He gets fired out of a Gatlin gun, and he is gone. Burrow throws toward the left side, back shoulder throw, Chase makes the catch, cuts it in on the field, and the chase of Chase is unsuccessful, a 41-yard touchdown. Steps up, fires it to the end zone. It's caught at the one yard line. Giants stand him up. He's not in. And the Saints get him right out. The Giants stopped him at the one yard line. Holy cow! <laughs> Some of the hump day homers from the week that was that Ken Walker touchdown. Hey. The Seahawks. And he's he's a stud. This is like shades of Adrian Peterson impact. When he gets through the first level, he's just gone. There's a great photo of somebody who I think may be related to you, a Chargers fan, giving Walker the double barrel. Oh, I saw that. I saw that. She was holding yeah. nothing back. Hey. I, I, I think there should be a DNA test to see if there's a connection. You, 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 you said it, though. This, the guy is special. Uh, I, I, I've, I've kind of been saying on my podcast the last two weeks, Mike, he's, he's in the conversation for best running back in football already in my eyes. And I, I think you're seeing it too. You know, there's, there's too many runs like that. There's too many runs that go for 20 yards where I go, they didn't block anybody. Holy crap. He got out of there somehow. He runs with power. He's got speed. He can break your ankles. He's got it all. He is every bit in that conversation with Chubb, Jonathan Taylor, whoever. I mean, I'm not so sure. I might not take Kenneth Walker number one right now with what I've seen the last three, four weeks. He had that hernia surgery to start the season, preseason, or they, they, hernia, not a hernia, whatever it was, missed week one, gradually better and better and better and better, and he's been phenomenal in recent weeks. All right, after further review time, and this is going to focus on this phenomenon of the Low block outside the tackle box. Inside the tackle box, it's okay to go below the waist and apply a block. Outside the tackle box, you can't do it. There was a call in the Chiefs 49ers game that took a touchdown off the board where uh, Jarek McKinnon went low. But the, the issue here is the flag gets thrown after there were multiple examples, right. the flag wasn't thrown. Right. And you say this, it creates the expectation that it's not going to be an issue right. in the game. That's how the game's being officiated. So when it changes all of a sudden, then like this right here, okay, that's a, a the, the the blocking back, yep. chipping low right. inside the tackle box. We saw it multiple times in that game before the foul. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, you're saying it right. It's like the, they change the strike zone in the middle of the game. That, that That's the problem. And that's what drives players and coaches crazy. The Mike Vrabels of the world, you know, he needs to send another snarky email to the league. I mean, some that that's where – so how what do you coach here? 
And, you know, we're coaching and we're continuing to further along the game here because, first off, what an amazing throw by Mahomes. It's insane. But, it, uh, but, but, but here it's like, okay, well, we called the play in the first quarter. We did it. Nothing happened. Let's go to the next play, guys, if we can go to the next play. Here's the second quarter. Okay. All right. Hey, same type of thing. Sprint out right. You see Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Do it. All right. Hey, guys. Hey, this is working for us today. We're, we got a few different versions of it. We're going to call it again here in a little bit. You know, good job attacking his outside leg running back. Let's keep doing that. All right? So then you think, okay, great. We got something here. They're, this is cool. The referees are cool with it. It's all good. All right? And then, you know, to your point, Mike, here, and then we get to the touchdown, guys, and we can show that after we show this one more time. Where it's exactly the same. And now we're going to take points off the board even though it's been done exactly like this and a crucial part of the game, end of the half. I mean, here's the one. Yeah, right? Here's the one that was the flag. Right. And what's different about this one compared to the other ones? So That one was even closer to the box than the second one. It was, right? I got a theory. After seeing all three of them, especially the second one, if we can go back and show the second one. Yep. What's your um, theory, though? Let me hear it. Here's my theory. Somebody was warning the Chiefs, you're you're hitting these guys low outside the tackle box. You better stop it or I'm going to throw a flag. And so there was a borderline call, and he threw the flag because he warned him not to do it. I, you, that's, the only, that's the only explanation that I have. You, you, Here's the second one that's right. farther out of the box. Yeah. And they may have said after that, hey, man, to Mahomes or to whoever, we got we to gotta, – because this one is, is closer – well, it's not even closer. It's, it's clearly out of the box. That one should have been flagged. And maybe they got a warning, so when it happened again later in the quarter, okay, we're going to throw the flag. And you know what? We're only talking about plays that happened in the first half. They didn't do it in the second half. Yeah, I, you know, again, now that, that's something that I would love to hear from the NFL. And, and that's, those are the things I'd like to hear from the referees so that maybe we don't question it. You know, And, and that could be a real possibility. Shanahan and company, D'Amico Ryans, they complained to the refs. You know, the refs see at that time, they warn the Chiefs, hey, you do it again, we're going to call it, and then they did it. If that went down, then I'm cool with that, you know. But, but you know, if it didn't, then then it's totally inconsistent and not fair, and it looks like you're just flying by the seat of your pants there when you do that that way. And that, that's where right. I think we, we, go, we all go crazy a little bit with the, the, whole, the whole thing. That last one, though, the way the flag comes out, it's almost like he was looking for it. It's just, and again, I'm just piecing this all yeah, together I hear you. Right. by what we see and, and the things that we've learned over the years watching these games. We know how the officials communicate with players. There's, it just, it's, it's almost like I'm watching for this. We got shotgun formation, sidecar to the right. The motion flows to the right. The guy, and I told them to stop this. I told them not to do this. There's just something about that. It's just like, you know what? I expected to do this. There's a ca- very casual, there it is. Like, I was looking for this. I told them not to do it, and they did it anyway. I, if I had to make a bet on what happened, it would be that. They were warned after the second one. They did it again. They got flagged, and they didn't do it again the rest of the game. Yeah, uh, maybe. And, Mike, it, it, you know, again, it doesn't show it on this copy, but if you watch on film and watch this game, Mahomes throws the ball to your point, Mike, and turns around pretty quick and has a conversation with the referee that – you know, again, if I was like you, piecing things together, reading between the lines and the tea leaves and all that type of stuff, I'd go, well, maybe maybe they did warn him. Maybe they did. And, you know, I would love to know that. But these are the things that I know that, you know, you and I, we, we want to see consistently caused. Now, here's the other aspect, too, Mike, that I think has got to be taken into account here. The tackle box goes outside the tackle a little bit. It goes a little far. You gotta, you gotta imagine there's a tight end on the end of the line of scrimmage too, so that's where, that's where also I think there's some gray area, and you could sit there and go, well, if there was a tight end there, all three of those blocks are within the confines of what the rules are there, and you know, again, that's where it's iffy. But yeah, you know, if they did that, Mike, to your point and warned them, then then I got no problem with it. And that does happen from time to time, and there's no transparency with that. We're not privy to those conversations. Maybe today, today's the day. Oh, they're on a bye week, so I don't know when we're going to hear from Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid next, but maybe it'll come up then uh, in one of the questions, and maybe they'll explain, yeah, you know what, they told us 
they, they they told us that we were close to the line, and and that's why they threw the flag to take that touchdown off the board. All right, let's take a break. We'll see the feats of strength and the best catches from Week 7 in a combination platter when PFT Live continues right after this. John, what were your thoughts about the 49ers trading for Christian McCaffrey? Uh, no, you thought, oh, you know, they get, they get another great player. I don't know why we bleeped him. We say it all the time. Dropped an S-bomb. They got another great player that the Rams were trying to get. The 49ers said F them picks before the Rams could. Of course, the Rams have few picks left to F. That's the problem. So, something that came up over the weekend, and here's the origin of this. The Panthers were trying to put out this idea as part of the Sunday splash reports for week seven. And Shefty was the willing conspirator that there are four members of the Panthers who are untradeable. Brian Burns, Derek Brown, JC Horn, DJ Moore, not trading them for any offer rejected two first round picks for Brian Burns, supposedly not trading them. And it's like they're, there aren't that many truly untradeable players in the NFL. And Chris, we've done this before, but the world has changed since the last time we've done it. So today's draft, the currently untradeable players, for good reason, not Russell Wilson because nobody wants his contract, not, not untradeable that way. Matt Ryan, no, I'm talking about so good that there's no offer you'll say yes to. You get the first pick. All right. Well, you know, I, again, like where I don't know where the baseline is here. I mean, I guess where I'm like, do we want to take teams that are like not in the playoffs right now? The, the, that untradeable. Any team that has a guy that they would not trade. Okay, but who are, who are the players that that you would say? F you, I'm not trading this guy. I don't care how much you offer me. The same attitude the Bengals had to the Dolphins. When the Dolphins were trying to trade up to well, get the okay, number one that's where I was going to go Joe next. Right. No, we're not taking three first-round picks. We're not taking anything. We're not taking your whole draft. We don't want your picks. We want the player. Uh, Who are those players right now in the NFL? Okay, so I'll take Josh Allen, and you take Patrick Mahomes first. Let's All just right, start so right there. So we just moved around two? <laughs> yeah. Should we just moved around two? I think so, right? That's where we're going here. But those are the two. And and you know what, Chris? When yeah. I sat down to think about it on Sunday, yeah. I was having a hard time coming up with any behind those two. Right. And the simple argument is, for any other player in the league, you would trade them for Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes, whoever it is. Right? I mean, that's it. Micah Parsons. I mean, we're going to get to some names as we continue this. But those are the two right now that are truly untouchable. Everybody else is debatable. Those two, it's no debate. Yeah, I, I think that's that, That's the way to say it. There's no debate. Honestly, uh, if you're going to throw another one in there, for I, I think we could probably throw Joe Burrow in that conversation too. To, so that's uh, your next. Is that, that your next my one? next one? Yeah, I think Joe Burrow is the same type of thing. I mean, again, I can't wait to watch Joe Burrow on Monday night this week. I, I can't. I mean, Joe, he's feeling it, and he's you know a little different, maybe more by the book as compared to Allen or Mahomes, but still, like like Troy Aikman said on Monday night, is an assassin, an assassin, and a slippery sop, and. I mean, again, it's the Bengals, and we think they're cool now. I mean, again, one guy got there, and we're like, hey, they're kind of cool. Hey, those shitty uniforms, they're kind of cool now. <laughs> so that's that's what Joe Burrow can do. That's why he's classified there. And, and again, the Bengals wouldn't trade him. No. Offer everything you want, yeah. and they're going to say, no, this is our guy. Micah Parsons would be mine. Uh for that, because I, I number one, I don't think Jerry Jones would trade him right. for anything, right. except for maybe Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen. Yeah. But – um, th- this guy is foundational, generational, and they, they're just getting started with Michael Parsons. Maybe later in his career, yes, but right now I think he's the, the defensive player who would be at the top of the list of guys, and, and it may be a short list, Yeah, but he's the one defensive player you don't trade. Yeah, I, I mean, to me, he's, you know, it's, I, I think he's, I'm trying to just be careful here. I, he's, I mean, he's definitely one of the top two, three best defensive players in football. I still think he should have won the MVP last year on a week-to-week basis. So I, I hear you there. I think, all right, let's, I'll go with defense. Let's break. Okay, let's break. cool. Let's do that. Yeah. So you have more time to think about it, and I have time to think about it because I don't know which my next one's going to be. Let's take a break. We'll wrap up this draft and wrap up this edition of PFT Live right after this.
All right, those are the first four that we have identified as currently untradeable for any offer in the NFL. Chris, who else do you put on the list? You know, I'm, I'm going to throw T.J. Watt on there right now. I am. I mean, I, I think he's untradeable. I just, uh, again, he's the fabric of the Pittsburgh Steelers, let alone, you know, yeah, just everything, what they stand for, the scheme, how they play, and, of course, is right there with Micah Parsons and the other Aaron Donald and the greatest defensive players in the league right now. And, I mean, he's injured, and he's been injured often. I know, but I know. when he's healthy, he is unstoppable. Right. I thought you were going Nick Bosa. I know. Well, I was going to go one of the two. I just decided to go with T.J. Watt at the last second there. But what Nick, broke the tie, though? I, Bosa's I, younger. I, he's I, been injured, you're, too. You're though. right. Maybe that's where I should have done it. I, I, I think that's what it just it got to me. I felt like Bosa was maybe a hair more injury prone. That's why I went with T.J. Watt. But I think it's the same conversation, though. That like, you know, that defense, what they do, he's a high draft pick of them. You know, and again, I don't think they can play that defense without a, a really super edge guy. That's where it, Bosa fits that category, Mike. I think age is an issue, though, too. And I'm going to throw Sauce Gardner out there. Because I don't think that – right now, I mean, you're just scratching the surface on a guy who may be a Deion Sanders. Who knows? Who knows yeah. what he's going to be? Yeah, I hear Why you. would I trade that away? The whole idea of using those draft picks, they're lottery tickets. And once you scratch off a winner, you keep it. Well, we think this is a winner, and I'm not – no, 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 no. I'm going to keep scratching because this guy, I think, is special. So, uh, who else, Chris? I well, mean, there's a, you know, Justin, Herbert, Justin Herbert, I think we got to throw in that conversation. Yeah. Right? I mean, I think he's in there for sure. I mean, really honest. I don't know right now whether it's him or the coaching, though. It's the coaching. he's not the guy that he was last year. I, well, he, they got to start calling some plays that go down more than seven yards down the field. You know, again, it's almost a Sean Payton effect to in there, Mike, too, a little bit. They got all the Sean Payton plays except for those five or six plays you talk about every week that Sean Payton used to come up with by stealing people's plays and creativity and all that. They miss that. They need it. Uh, so th- I throw them. How about your young receiver up there in Minnesota? You know, after what we've seen with Tennessee and A.J. Brown, would you ever trade Jamar Chase or Justin Jefferson right now? Well, I – I don't know that he's completely untradeable for like three first round picks or something like that. Yeah. I, I don't know yeah. that anyone's ever going to offer that, but we've seen the Vikings trade Randy Moss. They traded Percy Harvin. They traded Stephon Diggs. Now it's a different regime altogether, but I feel I, it's like your sauce conversation. I, it's like, man, it's, it's, it's really but you special. You got to pay Jefferson soon. Yeah. You get three years of sauce Gardner before it's ever. Yeah, I got conversation. You. That's why I think age, age and greatness combined make a guy untradeable. We're out of time. I'm untradeable. Have a great Wednesday. See ya. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.